Good evening. Very good. Does anyone know what um, parable we're looking at tonight? Has anyone paid attention to the service sheet? Jens, you're nodding. What are we looking at? Treasure. The treasure, that's right. Hidden treasure and the finest pearl. Before we do that, I want to kind of bring us to the end of where we're going to head tonight. I want to pose this kind of slightly weird statement. I want to say that Jesus makes the kingdom of heaven visible to us. Jesus makes the kingdom visible. And so what is our response? If nothing else tonight, this is what I want you to leave with. I want you to go away pondering what is your response. Now it might seem quite an obvious statement that Jesus makes the kingdom visible. But I want to suggest actually this is a challenge every day. We are called to respond afresh in a new way. We are called to respond to a radical, to a revolutionary, to a man named Jesus. And to help us do that, I want to pose two questions. The first one is this. How do we find the kingdom of heaven? And our parable tonight is going to help us with that. And then once we've worked out how we find it, I want us to think about what do we do with it? You know, how do we understand the kingdom of heaven in order order for us to understand how we're going to respond? So let's turn to our Bibles. Let's dive into the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 13, and we're going to pick it up in verse 44. By way of context, Jesus has kind of come out of his home. He's encountered a huge crowd, and so he's decided that the best place to minister to this crowd is in a boat. And he's kind of delivered a number of teachings, and then we get to this one, which is very much about response. Now I'm going to read the first metaphor, the first part of it, and then we're going to come back to the second part. So do keep your Bibles open. So we read in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. He bought the field. This metaphor, this little kind of comparison, is about an ordinary man Maybe poor, maybe not, but an ordinary sort of guy. And he just happens to stumble across the most amazing find. He finds treasure hidden in a field. It's kind of the thing we dream of, isn't it, as kids, when we're pretending to be pirates. It's the most amazing discovery, but it does not happen. What hasn't happened to me? Has it happened to you? I suspect not. If you're curious, it's probably like uh, winning the lottery, which is a one in 14 million kind of probability. It just doesn't happen. But Jesus says that it happens to this guy. And when he finds it, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field so that he can have the treasure. So what observations can we make from this little story? You can put the slide up with a help. Well, Jesus chooses to contrast something exceptionally valuable with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is hugely precious. 
if the treasure is described as hidden, then the kingdom of heaven must also be hidden. The kingdom is not readily visible. The third observation I want to make is that the man was not looking for this. He found the treasure probably when he was least expecting it. I think what Jesus is saying here is one, that he's here for the ordinary man, the ordinary person. And two, when that person is least expecting it, he might just make the greatest, greatest discovery he's ever going to make. He might just find treasure. And when he finds it, he's going to give up everything for it because it is the most prized possession. What questions does this pose? What questions does it generate? Well, I want to know, why is the treasure hidden? You know, what does that say about the kingdom of heaven? Well, if the kingdom is best represented by its king, by Jesus, then I think what it's saying is that Jesus is also kind of hidden. You know, those who lived in Jesus' time, they recognized Jesus the man, Jesus of Nazareth, but they had a real hard time seeing his true identity, seeing him as God's son, as God's chosen one. You know, in John 1.10 it says that Jesus was in the world, yet the people did not recognize him. It begs the question, did the man find the treasure or did the treasure find the man? Did the man find Jesus or did Jesus find the man? Why does Jesus compare the kingdom of heaven to treasure? Well, the first point is obvious. It's, you know, it's extraordinary. This is a remarkable find. The kingdom of heaven is like nothing else. It's your most prized possession. What's interesting is that there is no map, there's no adventure in this treasure story. It's all about an unexpected discovery. When someone is least expecting it, they might just find treasure. Let's move on to the second of our little stories. So reading from verse 45 to 46. So Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So this story is about a merchant, a professional, a business person, a man of a trained eye whose expertise is in pearls. All right, and at that time when Jesus was alive, you know, this was big business. Divers would go out deep into the Red Sea and the Persian Gulf and the Indian Ocean. It was dangerous work. And they'd discover these precious pearls. But just like diamonds, there's a difference between a good pearl and an ordinary pearl. And when this merchant who's actually looking for it discovers the finest of pearls, he knows immediately that it is like no other pearl. And so he sells everything he has so that he can have that pearl for himself. It becomes his most prized possession. So what observations can we make? 
Well, like the first metaphor, clearly Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is immeasurably valuable. Cleopatra, who was a princess at the time, is said to have had one that was worth around 25 million denarius. For context, one denarius is the equivalent to about one day's work. So the audience would have known this is immeasurably or infinitely valuable. But in contrast to the first metaphor, this is not an ordinary person, this is a professional. And Jesus says he is actively looking. He's searching for something he does not yet have until he finds what he's looking for. What questions does this raise? Well, it makes me think, who is like the merchant? I think I'm a bit like the merchant. I suspect many of you are like the merchant or have been like the merchant. Maybe you've searched, maybe you've found, or maybe you're still searching. And I suspect many outside this door are looking for something. Which is the next question. What are they looking for? I suspect many people are looking for something. They know they're missing something, but they do not yet know what they are missing. You know, the world teaches, doesn't it, that there are many pearls out there. You know, we strive for the greatest job, the biggest paycheck, you know, the most extravagant holidays, the fastest cars, you know, the most extravagant kind of experiences. Yet not one of these leads to the finest of pearls. We only find the greatest pearl when we find Jesus. We find the treasure, we find the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. I want to share a little bit about my story. I've just said I was a little bit like the merchant. You know, when I came uh, to Guildford just a few years ago, I came to the university. I actually sacrificed a gap year because I was hungry. I was hungry to resolve these hidden questions in my mind. I knew I was missing something, but I did not know what. So I came, I got stuck into the Christian Union, I got stuck into church, and I felt like I was close, but not quite there. I couldn't quite find what I was looking for. So I went off to Kenya on a short-term mission trip, and when I got there, the church was rocking. I mean, you know, when they worshipped these guys, they bounced all night long with the biggest smiles on their face. They were just overflowing with joy and emotion, like nothing I had seen. And I wanted what they had. They were alive in Christ. And I said, that is what I want. This is what I am missing. I don't have materials, but they have a fire and a hunger inside. So armed with my Alpha book, I did my own Alpha course. And by the end of my time there, chatting to these Kenyans, hanging out with them, I found what I had been missing. I found the pearl. I found Jesus. But that's my story. I want to throw up some, um, some statistics for you. This is how some practicing Christians have come to faith. What I've done is I've highlighted in white kind of scenarios that are similar to the merchant. You know, people have been actively looking and have then found. The yellow, by contrast, is basically an unexpected discovery. You know, people have come to faith kind of inadvertently. The first one, which is not highlighted in black, this should all give us hope. This is just to say that 
you know, most people who grow up in a Christian family have a pretty good chance of coming to faith. Praise God. The second one, though, says that 29% of practicing Christians have come to faith by attending a church service. It's why making church so welcoming, so full of that same energy and zeal that I described, is so key. And then I skip one and go to the fourth one. It says that 27% of people have come to faith through a conversation with a Christian friend. I don't know if you've made the connection, but the second one and the fourth one, this is not the work of a chosen few. We all get to play in this. We all have a role to play. We could be the person having the conversation with the friend. We should be thinking, you know, who is searching? Who has yet to find the pearl? Who do we need to point towards Jesus? So if that is how we find the kingdom of heaven, what do we do with it once we've found it? If we look again in Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 14, 14, it says what it describes the gospel of the kingdom. You know, Jesus is teaching. He's, he mentions the kingdom more than anything else. You know, the gospel is all about the kingdom. And if we understand the kingdom to be God's will, then when Jesus kind of came into the world, he came to introduce us to God's will. He came to model a life of God's will. You know, in Luke 4, 18 to 19, he said, I come to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, to set the captives free. This is the ministry that Jesus enacted. And then when he died on the cross, you know, he, he kind of paid our ransom once and for all so that nothing could separate us from a relationship with God. And then Jesus said that one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And on that day, joy, love, and peace are going to reign. There will be no more suffering. This is the hope and the promise that we have in the kingdom of heaven. And we are kingdom people. And we are called to carry on his ministry. Here comes the but or the yet. And we say, yet despite all of this, I think it's actually quite hard to truly grasp the kingdom. Not once does Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is this. You can box it neatly and, and process it. No, he spends a lot of trouble kind of comparing the kingdom of heaven to something seen and something unseen. You've kind of got to make the connections. You've got to picture it together. It's full of mystery. There's a hiddenness to it all. You know, Jesus came into the world to reveal himself as God's son, to say, I am God's chosen one. I am the king of the kingdom. Not the king of the Roman Empire, not the king of a Jewish ideal, not here to lead the European Union or to lead a mighty state. No, I am the king of the kingdom of heaven. You know, living in a world 
that has many kingdoms, many power struggles, it is difficult to pitch to picture a heavenly kingdom amongst all the confusion. It's why I think when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said, you know, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We do that by looking to Jesus, by looking into the gospel, by focusing on the kingdom principles. Question. If I asked you to draw the kingdom of heaven, what would you draw? What would you draw? You'll be pleased to know there's no pen and paper under your chair. But I did ask some of the brightest minds in this town to help me out. And I must admit, when I, when I asked them, I was exceptionally expectant. I was expecting fresh revelation. This is what we got. By the way, I should say the brightest minds are these students, or some of them sitting over here. Now the first one, this guy has really high potential. He can do a Rubik's Cube in about 10 seconds. So when I saw this picture, he's a mathematician, I was kind of thinking, okay, this is some kind of complex equation. Actually, he just said, no, it's a donut. I said, okay, is a donut a complex equation? He said, no, a donut's a donut. Um, he had a complete mind blank. Uh, next one. This one, okay, this is like a kind of a happy family scene. There's a mum, a dad, and two children. Okay, uh, next one. Okay, this one is kind of playing more to, the, more to the abstract, the focus, I guess, on heaven. We've got God as a cloud with a crown on it, crown on his head. He's surfing some waves drinking milk and eating honey and getting kiss lots or giving out kisses. A bit abstract, isn't it? Uh, the next one. This one, I thought the person just got bored and had drawn a nice picture of a garden. But actually, she said that the, uh, the rose in the middle um, it has some significance. You know, think of the vine in, in John 15. You know, you remain in me, I remain in you, um, and we'll bear fruit. So, you know, there's a bit going on there. And then the last one that, that I'll share... This one looks a bit chaotic, doesn't it? Um, I didn't have this discussion, but I was looking at it a bit more, and I'm going to give this guy quite a bit of credit. I think the vine represents the old kind of Israel. You know, Israel is often described as a vine. And then Jesus says when he comes to bring a new kingdom, he's going to graft onto the vine. You know, the kingdom is open to everyone, the ordinary person as well. And then right kind of top and center of, of earth, you have the cross. You know, it's Jesus bridging the gap between heaven and earth. So that one, I think it's pretty good. Um, but we'll leave it there. My point is, it's really hard, isn't it? I don't know what you would have drawn. The kingdom of heaven is kind of hidden. We want people to find it. And we've got, a, we've got the challenge of helping people to find it. So we need to reflect on how we're going to do that. I'm now going to share an incident that occurred to me um, the other week. I'm going to call it Morangate. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? I share this story, not because I'm proud of it, but because I want you to avoid the same pitfalls. This is what happens if you do not fully grasp the kingdom. Now, the incident occurred 
in the hairdressers in town. I was having my hair cut, and the conversation moved dangerously to what do I do for a living? I decided to play a straight bat and give an honest answer. I said that I'm training to be a church leader, at which point I was expecting that to be it. But the guy was a Muslim, a practicing Muslim, and he was interested. And so he asked me some more. And what, um, I mean, my prop now, what preceded was that effectively we started to compare meringues. So when I think of a kingdom, I kind of think of like a medieval fortress, you know, something with kind of like, I don't know, four walls and something in the middle. And so basically that's what I did. I said, well, my church, you know, we, we have Sunday services, we're kind of this big, this wide, we look a bit like this. You know, we have free services, we, we do some activity. It's crumbling a little bit at the side. Um, Jesus did not once say the kingdom was functional or practical, did he? I described the most boring, gray picture of the kingdom. The evangelist amongst you was saying, you loser. You know, that was game on, you had him. I let him down, I, I sold him short. You know, there was, there was no joy there. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. It is the most prized possession. When you find it, it is infinite joy and you will give up all that you have for it. You would not do that for a meringue. You know, don't talk meringues. Jesus' description of the kingdom of heaven in our parable all basically points back to him. It centers on him. He is the treasure and the pearl. Not many people are going to find Jesus. He is hidden. But when we do and when they do, they are going to tap in to the most amazing person. A person who pours out unconditional love, which we call grace. When we find Jesus, we find the person who spoke life into being the one who knows us, the one who sees us, the one who longs to journey life with us, the one who goes searching for us when we're lost, the one who calls us home, the one who says, come, follow me. In Matthew 7, we get a story of the wide and the narrow gate. The wide gate represents kind of the way of the world. It has loads of attractive features. That's why most people go that way. But ultimately, it leads to a dead end. Then there's the narrow gate. The narrow gate is probably tucked around the side. It's not very big, it's not very wide. It's easily missed. But the narrow gate is the one that leads to life in all its fullness. It's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the gatekeeper to the kingdom of heaven. If we want people to find the kingdom, we have to point them to Jesus. And we have to find him for ourselves. Our cry and our heart's desire should be more, Lord. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But it should be more, Lord. We are kingdom people, and we want to see the advancement of God's kingdom. 
And it happens when people come to find Jesus. That is our cry. We want to see more of the kingdom. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see the kingdom break in. We want to see God's power move. We want to share good news. We want to see these seats filled. You know, we want to see transformation, don't we? We want to share this joy. We want to see God's will at large. It's different to the, you know, to the ways of the world. It's hard at times. It's hard to picture it. It's hard to see it because it rubs up against it. But it is attractive. And we do not want to sell God's kingdom short. Here come the second part of my props. I said this morning, this is my way of trying to top Lucy from last week. It's a bit desperate, I know. Right, what do I need? I've got my meringue. Now I've got some ingredients. We need to reimagine the kingdom. The kingdom is not confined to four walls. We need to break that as best we can. But that's fine. If it gets gooey, it gets you know, crumbly, that's perfect. We need to add it to the, to the infused cream. There's a lot of vanilla essence in here. Plenty of icing sugar to make it nice and sweet. We then get this sort of um, black forest coulis. We pour a bit of that over it. We then need some lovely strawberries to keep it nice and fresh. Suddenly it does not look so great, does it? You know, God's kingdom is full of joy, it's full of peace, it's full of love. It's not like a conventional kingdom. This is my kingdom mess. If anyone likes an eaten mess. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the point is not meringue. The point is we've got to try and picture it, we've got to try and imagine it, we've got to feel it. Because unless we feel it, unless we can really kind of share our heart with the people we meet, they're not going to see it. They're not going to get it. Yeah, we should be passionate. We've got hope. We've got a hope that the world cannot give. That people are missing, that people know they need to find. They just do not know where to find it. People are hungry, but they're living on rations. Leads us on to the final bit. What is our response to Jesus? You know, Jesus makes the kingdom visible. What is our response? Let's share briefly two little stories. You know, Jesus describes the story of the rich young man. Probably had everything he needed. But he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what more do I need to do to follow you? Jesus looks directly at him, but he looks through him. He looks at his heart. He knows what this guy is really thinking. He knows what he, what he treasures. And so he challenges him right at the core. He says, if you want to love me, if you want to follow me truly, you need to give away everything you have and come follow me. And the young man cannot do it. It is too big an ask. I suggest he has not seen the infinite value of the pearl 
standing there in front of him. By way of contrast, we have the story of a tax collector called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is halfway up a tree. He's not expecting Jesus to come and find him, but he does. Jesus goes out of his way to find Zacchaeus. He calls him down from that tree and he invites himself around to his house. Zacchaeus instantly knows who he's standing in front of. He is convicted himself. And he says, I'm going to give away half of what I have. And I'm going to repay all those I have cheated. Zacchaeus recognizes the pearl in front of him. And he makes that his prized possession, not his wealth. What I think the point of these two stories are, I think it's a thing about our hearts, not about our money. Jesus says we cannot serve two masters. He says that the greatest command is this, to love our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. And if things get in the way of that, then I think we can expect that Jesus is going to challenge us where it hurts. Jesus knows that we're all different. And so he's going to speak to us all differently. Yeah, he speaks to the heart, doesn't he? We just then have to respond. Jesus wants our everything. He wants our all. He never said it would be easy. But Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the pearl. What more do we want? Everything we've had, everything he's, we've got is from him. Yeah, he blesses us. He loves us. So I ask the question again. You know, Jesus makes the kingdom of heaven visible to us. What is our response?